Hello again, my name's Andy, and I write children's fiction under the pseudonym A.P. Winter. Welcome to the 20th episode of the podcast. It's New Year's Eve as I record this, which seems like as good a time as any to think about new writing projects and new approaches. This time I'd like to talk about dialogue, and if you stick with it until the end, I also have an exciting announcement to share about something that might help with your new writing in this new year. Okay, so dialogue first. Let's start with an image that you might not expect in a serious podcast about the craft of writing. Let's say someone is playing with sock puppets. What kind of tone do we expect the puppeteer to adopt when they have a sock puppet on each hand? Is it something like this? Oh my goodness, what's that? I don't know, righty. What do you think? I don't know either, lefty. Let's take a look. There is a very specific tone that the sock puppeteer adopts, one in which they are constantly making you aware of their role in controlling things by telegraphing what they're doing and what you should be interested in. Also by generally making their hands talk very cooperatively in very full sentences to make everything really clear. Don't get me wrong, I think that's a fun way to do sock puppets, but I think we can also easily identify that this might not be as good um, for dialogue in a novel. What if instead we were to have righty and lefty say something like, Are you seeing this? What? This thing? It's probably nothing. Probably nothing. Have you seen either of the feet lately? I miss those guys. Great. The feet, of course. What? What have I done now? You never want to spend time with me anymore. It's fair to say we'd probably have a worried audience at this point because we've broken part of the code of playing with sock puppets. We've gone from a realm where the puppeteer is very present and seems to be making a game of the fact that one person is in control to this state where it really seems like righty and lefty are capable of thinking about different things, even when in the same situation. Now this might make for a worrying puppet show, but I'd argue that it's a pretty good mental space to occupy when we're writing dialogue in a novel. This sense of two minds at work is exactly the effect we're looking for to create a lively scene. Let's have a look at some examples to explore this a bit further. We'll start with pirates having a bit of a pirate chat in Treasure Island. I want to give you two main points of context going into this. Firstly, let's briefly cover what's going on in the story. The pirates, who are currently pretending to be regular sailors, are debating what to do with the officers when they take control of the ship. Long John Silver is cautioning them not to be too hasty. Our hero Jim is watching all of this unfold while hiding in a barrel. That's really everything you need to know for story context. But secondly, and more importantly, here's a list of things that people want in this scene, things that we can infer from the way they've behaved before, or things that they're openly telling us. So Long John wants to convey that he is the only person clever enough to lead them, so that everyone follows his orders and sticks to the plan. Israel is proud of himself and wants to reminisce about the good old times of being a pirate, and he seems to be poking at the suggestion of Long John having the final say in everything. 
Dick is the youngest crewman, accepting our narrator, and wants to show everyone that he is just as on board with being a pirate as the rest of them. And the cook, along with everyone except Dick, seems to be in on the idea of flattering Dick to make sure he goes along with their plans and feels like one of the team. But the cook is also playing a dangerous game because he's not super keen on the plan at all. So that's the context. We'll join things just as Long John has expressed some dissatisfaction with the rest of the pirate conspirators. Easy or Long John, cried Israel, who's a crossing of you? Why, how many tall ships, think ye, have I seen laid aboard, and how many brisk lads drying in the sun at execution dock, cried Silver. And all for this same hurry and hurry and hurry. You hear me? I seen a thing or two at sea I have. If you would only lay your course and point to windward, you would ride in carriages, you would. But not you, I know you. You'll have your mouth full of rum tomorrow, and go hang. Everybody knowed you was a kind of chapling, John. But there's others as could hand and steer as well as you, said Israel. They liked a bit of fun, they did. They wasn't so high and dry, nohow, but took their fling like jolly companions, every one. So, says Silver, well, and where are they now? Pew was that sort, and he died a beggar man. Flint was, and he dried a rum at Savannah. Ah, they was a sweet crew, they was. Only, where are they? But, said Dick, when when we do lay them athwart, what are we to do with them anyhow? There's the man for me, cried the cook admiringly. That's what I call business. Well, what do you think? Put them ashore like maroons? That would have been England's way. Or cut them down like that much pork? That would have been Flint's or Billy Bones. Billy was the man for that, said Israel. Dead men don't bite, he'd say. Well, he's dead now hisself. He knows the long and short on it now, but if ever a rough hand come to port, it was Billy. Okay, so it's all in pirate talk, so it's not as transparent as it might be, but in these few exchanges, I hope we can hear how Long John is being dismissive of their abilities, and he's underlining the fact that all of these good old pirates that Israel likes got themselves killed for silly reasons. Long John also asked lots of rhetorical questions to emphasise how much more he has thought things over than they have. We can see Israel taking several opportunities to talk about past pirates and how great they were, and the implication is that they were more wicked and therefore more fun and perhaps better pirates than Long John. We can see Dick somewhat nervously asking a more direct question, which stands out because the other pirates seem to be more careless about the whole matter of where and when they'll do away with the officers. And we might have a sense from Long John's digressions that he has perhaps been avoiding a direct answer on this subject. And finally, we see the cook flattering Dick and offering up some seemingly keen solutions to the problem. But is he actually that keen? The real purpose of this scene is to show the moment the narrator realises that these people are pirates. That's the important change taking place in the scene. 
but it does so in a way that shows all these complex needs and desires at work in each character. They're talking in the same place, but are they really talking together? It's clear that they all want slightly different things, and they're not perfectly listening to each other or trying to meet each other's needs instinctively. They don't just cooperatively follow each other's questions or statements, but twist things to their own motivations and interests. Basically, they're not talking like sock puppets. This might seem tricky to include right off the bat, but it's also worth bearing in mind that the novel has been going along for a while by this point. We've had the opportunity for characters to develop. And it's also worth noting that Robert Louis Stevenson went through multiple tortuous drafts to get to this finished product. Have a search online for Robert Louis Stevenson's essays on the art of writing and skip to the chapter on Treasure Island. You'll find the most incredible, honest account of how difficult writing can be and how failed experiments can lead to success. I feel assured that his characters didn't arrive talking in this way. He's put the work in to hone these scenes and has spent time trying to figure out what each character would say. This, in my opinion, is one of the most important aspects of moving away from sock puppet dialogue. It takes time and you really have to start exploring the scene and experimenting to make it happen. And it requires persistence too. It won't necessarily be there in the first draft. One approach I've found useful for this is to begin by writing much longer scenes of dialogue than you need. Just make characters keep talking to each other and then edit it down afterwards in order to find the most distilled and interesting version of what they have to say. If you do this enough, you start getting a sense of how good dialogue comes together. Okay, I'm going to pause there for now, but I do have an important announcement, or at least it seems important to me. I've finally finished a book on writing children's fiction, and it's available now online. In fact, the section I've just read on dialogue comes straight from that book. I've had to release it through Amazon, which is, you know, a bit of a boo-hiss scenario, but I'm really pleased with the way it's come together, and I'm very proud to share it with the world. It's called Writing Children's Fiction Scene Play, A Scene-Based Approach to Better Stories. And I think the best introduction I could give is just to read the introduction to you. So here it is. I'm going to keep this as simple as possible. It will be no surprise to anyone that writing a good story is all about creating something interesting at every step. To achieve this, we could talk about story structure and character and setting and all the fun stuff that a lot of writing books seem to dwell on. But if we don't have the most basic foundation figured out, how to write interesting scenes, the rest falls apart. And similarly, if we don't know how to connect these scenes in a meaningful way, we're stuffed. So that, in a nutshell, is what the rest of this book is about. Most chapters will address a distinct device around scenes for you to think about and experiment with, but later chapters will look at how to apply these ideas in unison with scene sequences. Basically, I want to give you a few shortcuts I wish I'd had 15 years ago, in as accessible form as possible, because I happen to think that more people writing and more people enjoying and feeling empowered by writing children's fiction is a good thing. I also want to focus on ideas that are capable of being explored with specific examples, 
and that you can put into your writing with immediate effect. I'll try not to go on about complex concepts in general terms and then basically say, make it good, which is where I think some advice out there can get a little frustrating. Having said that, I know that writing involves a lot of lonely experimentation and hard work, so there will be exercises throughout this book to give you space to explore these ideas and figure out the most useful aspects for yourself. What I'm not offering is a quick fix template or a tourist guide to the act of writing. I don't want to create lists of do's and don'ts. I don't want to use flowcharts. Instead, I want this to be as much as possible like sitting down and having a chat with a writer about some of their most useful insights and experiences. And I want to give you the chance, if not to actually chat about it in real time, then at least to interrogate these ideas and try out some hypotheticals to compare what I'm talking about with your own experiences. This, rather than following rules, is where I think real progress happens. I think there's often pressure on published authors to make it sound like they just woke up one day writing novels, and I think some readers and even aspiring writers want to hear that too. It reminds me of a time when I was part of a crowd cheering a 10k race and everyone started to applaud a happy-looking dinosaur that was jogging towards us. Suddenly the dinosaur head unzipped to reveal an agonised human underneath, and almost at once the applause stopped. Sometimes people really don't want to know the work that goes into something, but I think this mindset, the idea that it's just a children's book, so it shouldn't be this hard, can make it much more challenging for aspiring writers. If you're afraid of looking silly or admitting you don't know everything, it's difficult to experiment creatively and try all the things you need to make your writing better. I'll try to include examples of not just where I progressed in my writing, but also where I went down the wrong path, so that you can see the steps that go into creating a longer piece of work, and hopefully so that you can see yourself going through a similar process without happily throwing yourself into all the same pitfalls that I did. And I'll mention my sources and point you towards some secondary reading that you might find useful too. As a final point, I would strongly recommend that you don't worship any other writers, don't think you can't do it, and don't assume that you're doing something wrong if it's not easy. It probably just means you're aware enough to see your mistakes and make things better. On that note, let's get started. Okay, so that's the book. Again, it's called Writing Children's Fiction Scene Play. You can find it through the link in the description or by searching for it online. It includes a lot of things that we've covered in these podcasts uh, in an even more accessible format, I would say, along with some new insights and a bunch of useful examples and writing exercises to support these ideas. For example, there is a whole other chapter on dialogue with lots of examples which I think are much easier to explore on the page than they are for me to relate on the podcast. I completely understand if you prefer to just listen to the podcast. I will aim to keep sharing stuff here for free as well. Um, but I am about to become a father soon, which is very exciting. But it means I might not be able to post things as often. And for me, it also means that having a little extra money would make a really big difference. So please do consider buying the book if you found these podcasts helpful. That's all for this time. Thank you, as always, to everyone that has shared the podcast and left kind ratings and reviews. I'll aim to have something else to share soon, and I hope you'll join me then. <laughs>